0: Everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux episode 188, The Tax Man Cometh, recorded April 12, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week are both of your stalwart co hosts, Chris, the command line godfather Neves, and Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen.
1: Good morning and afternoon to everyone out there on the internet lands and a big
2: howdy from rainy East Texas y'all <laughs> I missed you guys. did you guys have fun without me
0: uh well as you'll find out in a little bit uh, some of our listeners think we had a little too much fun
1: without you uh oh
0: <laughs> so we'll get yeah to that. we'll get to that in a minute um so but but first I just want to say I'm at that age i i i had The rare, and I do mean rare, joy of doing nothing yesterday. Here was my day yesterday. I slept until 10 o'clock. I got up and had a late breakfast. I took a nap. I uh, (laughs) watched a little TV. I took another nap. I had dinner. I went to bed. Now, that, that may not sound like much to you, but in the busy life that is mine, that is pure nirvana. But I'm at that age where doing that caused me physical pain. My back hurts, Uh-oh. my joints hurt, laying around, you know, it, it causes pain. I was having lunch with some uh, friend of mine today, and he complained. He said, I, I spent all day in the yard yesterday uh, uh, doing on work, and, and I'm hurting. And I said, well, I spent all day doing yesterday, and I'm hurting. So apparently when you're in your mid-40s, it doesn't matter what you do. You're going <laughs> to hurt either way.
1: Uh, I haven't hit that spot yet, but I do enjoy my nothing days, as my daughter calls them. I try to at least make sure I have one a month of do nothing.
0: Oh gosh, for me it's like one every 18 months. Uh, it is No. Uh, my wife did have a a, a a girls night out, which is great. Uh, she's she's all all I'm all for that. I think wives should do that and husbands should do that. But before she left, the girls were like, "No, don't leave us with him." No. Because <laughs> Cause I know how to say no. And so everybody ate dinner, uh, and they ate the dinner I cooked and they, mm-hmm. I wasn't a short order cook. It wasn't, Hey, what do you want? Hey, what do you, no, no, I cooked and they either ate it or they didn't. And then they were in bed and lights out and that was it. That doesn't happen when mama's here.
1: Right. Um, you're, you're the disciplinarian yes. of your household. I,
0: I, like to say I run by the Mussolini, uh, method, the, the, the human rights take a back seat, but the trains run on time.
2: <laughs> that works. Know, as long as you don't disrupt Facebook, people don't care. So,
0: <laughs> did you see that? No, I'm not even gonna go there. That that could take us down a rabbit hole. Even I don't want to go down. So, um,
2: that's yeah, a scary thought. There. Considering what rabbit holes we travel.
0: <laughs> oh uh, yeah. I, I don't. I don't want to do it, but I want to do okay. it. Okay, the, <laughs> do it. I'm, I'm gonna Just go. Do it. Here we go. There was, it's probably old. I, I don't know, but you know how things resurface on Facebook. Uh, it was a grocery store video in Bakersfield, California of a dad hitting a toddler. Yeah. Um, oh. And it was, I watched the video. First, I read the comments, which is exactly the wrong order. Um, but it was like, um, the there were several it's one of those things that show, shows up in several different headlines right as different sites try to get your attention different click click uh link sure. um and there were things like dad punches out toddler uh in Bakersfield uh dad uh breaks son's face you know uh, uh <laughs> see dad. so i'm and and this is where i'm gonna be branded as a monster, but they're in a public grocery store and all you it's like seven seconds of video. And what you see is this kid come tearing around the corner, running at full speed. Um, so clearly, something had happened, you know, prior to that. Um, mm-hmm. And dad cuts him off and swings at him to stop him. And in the process of stopping him, his hand hits the kid in the face. It wasn't a punch. wasn't even a slap. It was a I'm grabbing at anything I can to stop the kid because he's running amuck in a public place. Uh-huh. He catches the kid in the face. The kid goes down. He's like three, maybe four. Dad jerks him up, hands him to his mom. Mom carries him out of the store. So, depending on your mindset, that was either brutalization of a child, and he should have his testicles removed and and be forced to you know endure punishment for the rest of his life, or and that boy got what he that boy got what he deserved uh and and i don't i'm not going to say which side i come down on but it was interesting to see how incredibly one-sided the reaction was none of the comments none of the posts nothing i saw said that's good parenting right there boy and i kind of would have expected that in redneck georgia where i live but no it was everything was you know that was brutalizing a child um and and so it just it was it was Hmm. one of those snapshots of American society, I think, and not just American. I saw it was posted on UK websites and other things. So I, I traced it down. I did some research on it just because I'm curious about that sort of stuff. And the reaction was universally not only negative but violently. This man should have horrible things done to him for the rest of his life. Uh, negative. Wow, um, that's uh, horrible.
1: Now, I, I mean,
0: I, I, I primed it by telling you what happened, right? I gave you my ter- slant on it by saying he was trying to stop the kid and hit him in the face in the process. Another mm-hmm. person telling you that story would say that the guy uh, brutally savaged his son for no reason. Uh, but I suspect those people have never had a three-year-old running amuck in a store.
1: <laughs> Definitely. I was going to say, Mark, you know, there's been a couple of times where I know um when my son, who was... uh he was one of those little three year olds that would run around in the house in the building, screaming and throwing things on the floor. And uh, we were at one of the local gro- local shop co's, um, and we, he was just being a little stinker, for lack of a better term. That's not g appropriate. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we uh, we, we have, me and my wife have a standing thing where if the kids are acting up to the point where they're causing the other shoppers to look. Then you just lost your right to be in the store with us while we shop, and so one of us will take them out of the store to the car, and they'll sit with them until they either calm down or the shopping trip is over. And we got the biggest compliment from one of the ladies that was there was an employee and an elderly lady in the store Olderly? when we did this. Well, she was over <laughs> fifty. Let's I put just, it that way. I
0: just the the combination of words there: older and elderly. Elderly. I like. That. I'm going to start using that. It
1: works, right? So anyway, they both, they both looked at me and said, Oh my God, you're the first parents to have ever done that. Thank you. And we weren't violent with him, but we were definitely, uh, stern with him extract being, it was like a a co-opt strike team to stop him and remove him from the store because he was throwing his body weight into shelves. Because he didn't want to leave.
0: I come from the background of of physical discipline is appropriate mm-hmm. and should be applied often. I mean, I used to joke that I, if I didn't get a spanking once a day, I'd get out of bed and say, "Mama, you forgot to spank me," because it just my day wasn't complete if I if I wasn't spanked. <laughs> but I I also fully admit I deserved every dang one of those. Um, (laughs) I was one of those kids who was going to push to the limits and the only thing that was going to bring me back was a chuffing in the ears, right? I needed physical correction. No amount of words was going to uh, do anything. I know me and right. You, you, you might say that I was brutalized and so I normalized that It was a bit of Stockholm syndrome. No, it was none of that. It was looking back now with the eyes of a parent. I realized that the only thing that was ever going to stop me was physical correction. Because my brain would get locked into something and I would be off mm-hmm. on it and my focus was gone. There wasn't any way to redirect me short of causing me pain. Now, you know, there's a difference between pain and injury, right? You want to cause pain without causing injury. Um, so I am slapping the wrist. I'm one of those horrible parents that beat my children. Um, <laughs> and, but what, one of my rules is because I'm a big guy, because I tend to have a temper, I've never struck my children out of anger because I know that that's opening a door through which I may never come back, right? I could right. do injury at that point. So when I find myself angry at my children, and yes, people without children, it happens. You get angry, physically, violently angry at your children, not just frustrated. Um, I have to put that aside and say, we're going to deal with this later because I know that I can't restrain myself in those moments. That, that was a rule you're I put on myself a long out. time ago. Right, because, I mean, <laughs> when you're dealing with a kid who's 40 pounds and you're 400 pounds, right, there's a significant difference. Yeah.
1: Um, it's an amplitude of magnitude there. Order of, yes. So, no, amplitude of magnitude. <laughs> darn it.
0: <laughs> so that's, you know, again, I'm not going to come down on the Facebook guy. I'm not going to say he should be imprisoned and I'm not going to be say, say he should, he was just displaying good parenting. I'm just going to say that where I come from, um, it's perfectly acceptable to cause minor temp- short term pain for disciplinary purposes.
1: Um, See, I like to look at it as also, you know, the, what's that, what's that, the dog whisperer? What's his name?
0: God,
2: I couldn't tell you.
1: I can't think of his name. Off uh, top is my it
2: Caesar Lamont? No, that's not That's yet.
1: him. Yeah, that's Caesar. Caesar. If you ever watch his, the way he counteracts a dog who's leaving normal range and going into red zone, that's how he stops him too. It's a momentary stop, you know, poke. No more than a poke or a, a prod with a foot, but it's enough of a of a snap moment that it. Whoa, what was that? <laughs> and well, that's what my, that's how my kids are. I mean, I I hate to say it, but I there's a lot of Caesar's tactics that I've used with my kids.
0: I I also brutalize my pets. <laughs> if you're one of those people, if you've ever watched a mother dog correct her children in the wild, like wild dogs, feral dogs, or wolves, the the. The verbalization of what you see is, "Son, I will destroy you if you don't fall into line." Mm-hmm. This is not a matter of correction. This is not. A, this is I will destroy you. I will eat you alive if you don't fall in the line. That's how mother animals, particularly dogs, handle their young. Um, there, I don't think they would actually do it. I don't know. Maybe they would. I've never seen a, a mother eat his her young. Maybe they would, but they make the the dog think they're going to. So, oh, yeah. When I am training. A new dog, I handle it that same way. I get down in his face, and I growl at him, and I say, I will destroy you if you don't do what I say. Um, (laughs) And it works. I have very well-behaved animals.
1: Yeah. It's amazing what that pack mentality will do. (laughs) Let the hate mail rain. (laughs) Oh, yes. I actually might get some hate mail off of that one. No,
0: Chris. Nobody ever hates you. They always love you. (laughs)
1: Actually, because I'm... I'm
0: I don't think we've read it on the air, but I got an email. The subject line is, Mark is right. And then when I open it, the first line of the sentence is, Mark, you're entirely wrong. But I think that that the idea was to hook me into reading the email
1: by saying that I was Uh right. It was was clickbait for your email. (laughs) And
0: uh, Seth would like to point out that uh, we just turned four.
2: Wow. Yeah, actually, last week's... um recording started our fourth year so i'm mean, and you know we have or have we come a long way that you <laughs> know it's either a statement or a question depending on which episode you listen to uh, but yes we are we're in our fearsome force
0: yeah and my uh first podcast uh the tight white tech began one year before that april 1st uh 2010 was my debut podcast So I am a five-year-old
2: podcaster. Woohoo! Getting on up there.
1: (laughs) Well, we're not quite past the the point of uh, infant death with a podcast. We need need to get past that five-year mark, and then we'll be all right.
0: Um. So, Chris, you have a whole bunch of things listed here.
1: Uh, Pick one of those. Just just one. Just one. But there's so many. Uh, Let's see. Choosing between your children. I know, and I can't do that either. Um, let's see. Oh, I
0: can. I have a clear favorite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I, this, uh, this is just maybe a question. Um, I want to use two of them if, if I can. Sure. The, the Meerkat thing. What is, has anyone done a Meerkat? Well, is nobody on this show is going
0: to do Meerkat because it's iP- Apple only. Um, right. But, well, it's nothing new. It, it's, it's is, kick. It's, um, It's stupid. There's the stickam. It's it's all. There's been these sites all around. It's a way to create an instant feed. um, But you share it via Twitter. You you tweet a thing that Mm -hmm. people can click on that link and watch your feed. It's ephemeral. It's not stored anywhere. It's for the moment.
2: um, And what's the point? I mean, honestly. You know, Chris, if you ask that question, you, <laughs> you just destroy 95% of the web. <laughs> if you can't say what's the point and go to a site like Facebook, you know, what's the point? And twi- Twitter's point is to bombard you with... Uh, Kim Kardashian retweets and random ads <laughs> to useless crap. That's the point of Twitter and Facebook is so you can get your 15 seconds of fame over and over again to your mom. Who's the only person who follows you that cares about you. So other than that, what's the point? Sorry. Well, so that's it, it, my with, editorialized comment.
1: Yeah, <laughs> with, with Twitter. I can understand. I understand Twitter. I use Twitter. I like Twitter, but meerkat. I just can't understand. Um, if it's not something that sticks around, and there's no way to actually refer back to things that you've already recorded, is there really any point to it? Does, people are just... Well,
0: I mean, it's it's all about sharing the moment, um, and it's not yeah. about and like. Have you guys actually the, looked at some of the moments that are being shared? The kids are driving in traffic. The kids these <laughs> days uh, are into that sort of ephemeral snuff sna- stuff. Snapchat is a big deal, specifically because it goes away. Um, if there was an Supposedly. archive of Snapchat like there is on Instagram, it would die. Uh, and so I think it's the same thing. Meerkat, the people like the fact that they can they can uh, show a video of themselves driving ninety on the interstate, and the cops can't see it later.
1: <laughs> uh, I just personally I think it's just stupid. But that also goes to the point where you know my second point that I wanted to use is um, how many times have you uh, restricted a website for your kids yet, Mark?
0: Um, I have not specifically restricted anything. I have the basic open DNS filters that I tuned and that's it.
1: Well, my, uh, my kids just lost YouTube for another two weeks. Uh. So that, that'll make four weeks that they will not have YouTube in the house. Now, that doesn't mean they can't get to it at work, at school or at grandma's, but in the, in the Neve's household, there is no YouTube.
0: Oh, so that's like a f- form of grounding you use.
1: For this particular instance, yes. Okay. Um, when I started seeing, uh, I'm trying to think of the right term. The, the, my children were starting to emulate the videos they were watching with added, the, the attitude to go with it. Yes, yes. And I was like, uh uh-uh. uh. Both me and my wife were at our end of it and we're like, all right, let's have a f- oh, one month banning of YouTube and, I went in and removed YouTube from all of their devices. YouTube is blocked on the DNS level. Um Yeah, it's amazing how fast kids lose an attitude when they realize that they can't get to something anymore.
0: Uh, yeah, my kids pretty much live on YouTube, but they, they have made wise choices about what they watch. And there have been a few times when I've had to come in and say, no, not this. This is unacceptable. Um, and I'm I'm lucky in that my kids don't push that interval envelope, or at least they do it in such a way that I don't know about it. Um, and as a I see, parent, that's kids, all you can do is hope that they're hiding it well.
1: See, that's where <laughs> my kids were. They're they're too blunt. Um, I love my kids to death, but they're the definitely the they're the baseball bat to the forehead blunt kids that everyone usually doesn't like because you know they they can't tell a lie because that was imbued into them early on. Um, My son, though, has tried a couple of times and failed miserably, so it's fun. (laughs) Parenthood, got to love it.
0: Uh, I just want to do a quick follow-up. Android 5.1 fixed all of my problems that uh, Android 5.0 created. Uh, So I, I, I would like to say thank you, Google but no it's really about time google cuz all of the problems that i had you created so this this nexus 5 device that i have was a, a fine device on KitKat. it became a crappy device on lollipop and now it's a fine device again it just took a few months of living through the garbage all the 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 memory leaks and the performance problems and the little uh, just things that made it almost impossible to live with are gone after a 5.1 update. So I did do a complete reinstall, wiped user data and everything. I don't know that you're required to do that to get the benefit of it. Maybe you can do the soft over-the-air update. I chose not to do that. So one man's experience, if you're having trouble with 5.0 or 5.01, 5.1 makes it way better.
1: That is good to know, because right now I've I've come this close about three times in the last week that I was going to root it and cyanogen it because I'm just tired of it. Or just go, con- there's a way to convert this into a uh, My HTC into the Google Play Edition, and that's tempting.
0: So I'm sure you could find a, a ROM out there for your phone ready to go, 5.1, if you don't yeah. want wait for the over-the-air.
1: Well, the problem with, with my phone, and I the reason I haven't done it yet is because the Verizon Company decides that they have it very extremely well locked down, so you can't. Um, it, it's in order. It, it, no, it's not order. It's not an order of magnitude, but it's definitely makes uh, rooting and updating the uh, the the ROM a pain in the neck.
0: Right, because phone companies know best, um, and and you know, uh-huh. let's not forget, this is their device. They're just letting you use it for a couple of years. You didn't
1: buy it. Well, the next one I will be buying.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a big chunk of money to outlay up front, but I think it's worth it. And and more and le- more and more, it's not a big chunk of money. The One Plus One, the Nexus line—that's not, not true anymore. The Nexus Six, but the the Nexus line prior to the Nexus Six and the One Plus One showed that you could have a flagship phone for under four hundred dollars, uh, yep. which is still a lot of money.
1: Um, uh, but I would rather pay $400 and own my phone and be able to do whatever I want to it than spend whatever it is for the down payment, and mm-hmm. and then you can't do a darn thing with it.
0: I mean, other but, off-contract phones are 700 so $400 a bonus. I mean, a bargain. Right. All right, moving on to the listener feedback. Steven says, Nudicles are old news. He says, a local radio show, LaGrange Logic with Joey Sauchere, covered this great topic at least 15 years ago. Where have you been? Uh, I've been on websites everywhere that don't talk about artificial testicles, and I'm not ashamed of that. That's where I've
1: been. (laughs) Okay. I missed a, I evidently missed a weird show.
0: Uh, Just, just the last 10 minutes of it. The rest of it was pretty, pretty normal.
2: Yeah. You know, we're not all in the great Twin Cities metropolis to catch, uh, shows such as that. We have to make do with limited sites such as, uh, Google, Yahoo, Bing and Facebook. <laughs> so, um, not everyone's access has access to garage logic. So, you know, way to rock the trendy world oh, out there.
0: I said Lagrange logic. I totally misread that garage logic. Thank you for correcting me. Um, and following up on, on Stephen Seals, David says that we need Chris. Hello, Mark, Seth, and Chris. I've been following the show for a few months, and I like the banner and stories you add to Linux Topic, but I was impressed with how fast Mark and Seth turned episode 187 from a normal EDL into a fake testicle talk. Stick around, Chris. You seem to keep Seth and Mark from turning back into college roommates.
1: <laughs> well, that's an interesting thought. <laughs> I assure you
0: he would have been right in the thick of it with us had he been here.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. I would have been throwing my own little bits and pieces in there. but uh,
0: And it was you know, appropriate because the whole topic was about bits and pieces.
2: That, that was the point. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it's not called a random link at the end of the show for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's why I've labeled that the show closing spectacular. So,
1: And those are usually. It was a spectacular close to the show. I don't know. I have yet to see. I have yet to hear a, a better one than the uh, backyard um, ferris Amusement wheels park. and carnival. Yeah. yeah.
2: I don't know the the poop app was uh, a <laughs> that was a favorite. So that was I a think, good one
1: too.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, speaking of apps, I want to give one more plug to the EDL app uh, that you can find. There's a forum on our website elementopi. dot com. Um, it's still, like I said, still very much in the beta phase, but I'm I'm super excited about this thing, and we need people to hammer on it. I need people posting comments and using it and listening to the show with it. uh features are coming, bugs are being squashed, uh but the what it's going to take is people to get this to the critical mass. So we could go yeah. ahead and put it in the store right now, but every review would be terrible because it's not finished yet. So we need people who are who understand that it's terrible. Tell us it's terrible. That's fine. I don't, I don't want you to to gloss over the problems, but understand that it's it's not ready yet. Huh. Um but it is, it is coming along, and it's great, and, and I think it's going to be the best app ever uh, once it's built. Certainly, it's going to be the podcast listening app. That's, that's my prediction for it. Cool. So check that out, elementop.com. Click on the forums. There's a link right on the front page that says get the app here. Um, next up, Travis asks about building a Boris box. This has been a topic that's been so uh, popular with so many people. He says, okay, so I know you guys are talking about the Pi versus a heavy-user version of, Bor- of the Boris box. Are, any th- are there any thoughts about the hardware for a heavy-use version? Uh, my thoughts on a heavy-use version. I would assume that a heavy-use one would uh, be the cost of a cheap PC setup in order to do it the do its Boris box thing, like unified that." Unified threat management and other stuff. Uh, since this is what I'm planning to do, I looked into this hardware for this and I wanted something that would also let me add some, some internet caching, uh, due to my local ISP's 300 gig monthly caps. So to me, that means I need a SATA, uh, six gig and some decent drives that can be thrashed and cleared regularly. The minimum board I found on this is a mini AT, uh, mini ITX board with an embedded Atom, uh, 2.1 gigahertz, uh, dual gig and a bit NICs on board. Of course, it has to add up, t- uh, to, Uh, four gigs of RAM and a power supply and a case, but for $119, it didn't seem like a bad place to start. Uh, possibly even sub $200 system, uh, just add your own hard drives and maybe an EDL ISO. Uh, just spitting ideas. What do you think? Um, that's probably overkill, really, um, on the drive storage. So think about your internet connection, right? So if it's at most, um, Let's say it's a super fast, you've got Google Fiber, you've got a gigabit, gigabit internet connection. You don't need a, a six gig a SATA throughput to support caching gigabit internet. Um, yeah, you can use just regular plain old IDE drives if you can still find them anywhere, but that's the whole point. Use an old machine. In terms of processor, and we talked about this several times in the recent past, uh, any, any 586 will do just fine. Um, right. And, and depending on what you want to you do, what you want to do, that's where the Ram comes in. But you stick four gigs of Ram in any box, an Atom processor, or two gig, uh, Atom would be fine. Even an arm processor, almost all of the, the appliances on the web today are running, uh, or home appliances anyway, are running arm processors. So processing is not a big deal. Uh, Ram is more important depending on, uh, on what you want to do. And storage, I'd say is not all that important. What do you guys think?
2: Well, well, one of the, the things 300... he said uh, was ahead, that Seth. he wanted to implement caching pretty aggressively. So, if that's the case, then storage is a little bit more important. But, yeah, but it doesn't have to far... be
0: super fast. I mean, you need well, no. you need a bulk a, a bunch of storage, but it doesn't have to be uh, ultra wide, scuzzy RAID stuff.
2: Right. No, you can go. You know, what's the closest pawn shop? Go find a Core Two Duo and take uh, 25% off the price there and walk out of there with a headless box that you can then throw uh, whatever uh, UTM ISO you want on there. I just Prowls showed off. my
0: age by saying ultra-wide SCSI, which <laughs> not only doesn't exist anymore, but is way slower than SATA anyway.
2: Right. But it has geeky, would... geeky cred, like. so... <laughs>
1: I would say, you know, the, the whole idea that Seth and Mark just said, you know, that's, that's about perfect. Um, you don't need a whole lot for doing it. I mean, I'm caching my own traffic here at the house and I'm running it on an old, it's an old IBM. I don't remember what the model number is, but it's an old guy. Um, it's hyper, it's a Pentium 4 hyper threaded. So it has two cores. And uh I think it's got four gigs of RAM and a standard SATA hard drive, and it does everything just fine. So, so the Atom chip need a you're talking lot.
0: about is a is a little slow um if you're going to use it as a desktop machine, but as a Boris box, it's fine,
1: yeah. more than fine. Because you're going to be running a, a Unix or Linux core, so it's going to handle a lot more tasks better compared to Windows because you're not doing all the extra fluff of a. You know, user user interface or anything like that. So yeah, yeah, I think I would say the atom might be a little like Marco was saying it might be a little slow, but you're barely going to feel it compared to what your old router would be.
0: Yeah, the if you're running a Blue Box router that you bought at a warehouse store, it's probably got a 32 megahertz atom in it. I mean, that's that's what they put in those things,
1: and it runs fine if you're lucky
0: if you're lucky yeah they, they they run fine for you know a handful of of computers uh and then last up fuzzy um sent sent an email and he apologized for bringing linux into our show uh <coughs> and prefaced it with some bacon there was a picture of kevin bacon a picture of john o bacon and a picture of a strip of bacon thought that was funny <laughs> it doesn't translate well to an audio podcast but it made me chuckle uh, yep. Fuzzy wants to make his own RSS service. Says, I'd like to be able to make an RSS feed within my local LAN, likely with a pie. I'd want to download YouTube videos from particular, particular channels uh, and then save to my phone's podcast catcher uh, to point to something internal. Uh, it seems like it should be simple, but I don't know where to start. Uh, thanks for all the work you put into the show. It never fails to make me laugh. Fuzzy, uh, if you're determined to go in-house, the best thing, if not the only thing, that I know that would do that is tiny RSS. That's a PHP script that you run on a server. Um, so it'll run on just about anything. I think it should be fine on a Pi. Uh, I know door to door geek, um, on the, uh, the Podnuts network has talked about using it. I tried to get some information from him today, but he was hot with his family. What right does he have to do that when I need information? Uh, oh, I couldn't, couldn't really give me any specifics. Uh, but I, you know, the way I see it, if he uses it and endorses it, it's, it's going to be stable, uh, because he doesn't put up with, with stuff that isn't. Uh, so check out tiny RSS. It's a small download, uh, web browser configured. Uh, but if you're, if you don't necessarily want to take it, um, in house, I would consider something like Yahoo Pipes. That's one of those things they built a long time ago. It's still out there, but nobody knows about it. Um, but Yahoo Pipes is designed to take different bits of RSS and put them together into a feed that lives on the Internet. Um, and it's your own custom feed. Like, for example, we have a feed. Uh, it's no longer relevant because we only do one show, but we have a feed on the website that's all the Element OP shows. Um, and it's a Yahoo Pipes. Uh, I think it's pipes.yahoo.com. Uh, it's, it's, it's really pretty cool. Uh, and you can string together any RSS or, um, I think there's other uh, formats that you can export to, but you could take whatever you wanted and not have to download them and store them locally. If that's not, if you don't want to, now it sounds like you maybe want to do that and listen to them, uh, on your own storage. And that's, that's fine. But I would, if you're, if you're not married to doing it in-house on your own hardware, look at Yahoo Pipes. Um, it lives on their servers. It's their RSS feed. Uh, and yeah, they might make it go away, but it's been there for over a decade. Uh, and I don't, I, I doubt it's costing them more than a few CPU cycles. I don't know why they'd make it go away, but that's, that's what I would
2: do in that situation. The problem is, Mark, they had forgot about it.
0: <laughs> now, and that now
2: that, that you've it. told them, it's, it's days are numbered. So, ah, oh, it's all your fault, Mark.
0: Yes, because the high ups at Yahoo do listen to this show. <laughs> it's perfect for them because it has nothing to do with anything technical.
2: There you go. <laughs> um, I'll so, scratch them off our list of potential <laughs> sponsors.
0: <laughs> oh Yahoo! You had such potential, and you've done something with it,
2: man. When they when they redid their your my Yahoo page, I still I I just pretty much quit them. I went to a look. They used to, you could have these, you're all the theaters you wanted to lay down on your my Yahoo page. And I could look and see in one space, all the different theaters I wanted. And then all of a sudden I went there and that whole section was like, what movie do you want to see? And then you put it in and then it provides, I was just like, what? So shame on them. I know it has nothing to do with anything, but neither does Hmm. most of the show. So
0: (laughs) it fits right in. Um, yeah, actually, it does. I was, I was. This, I had a conversation that actually fits here. Imagine that, with my soon-to-be 13-year-old daughter, uh, we were talking about uh, browsing the web, and, and nobody really does that anymore. Just surfing from one site to another. And she said she found an attachment to my wife's KitchenAid mixer that she thought she might like for Mother's Day. Uh, and she said, I don't remember remember how I got there. I just somehow ended up at uh, the KitchenAid website. And I thought that's how the web used to be. Um, yeah. You just kind of surf around before it got too big. And I said, back in my day, using the old folks verbiage, uh, <laughs> I said, that was, I used to spend hours just surfing the web, going from one link to another with, I uh, wasn't looking for anything. Today, people go to the web looking for something, but before there was a search engine, before there was a good search engine, you couldn't do that. And right before that, there was Yahoo. Yahoo was a directory and you could search their directory that was sort of the start of searching, but it was nowhere near a search engine for the internet. Right. Um, and you could go to GeoCities and you could search around there. Uh, but that's, that's how you, you just bounce from one place to another. I, I, I first got my start using the links text browser on my college's, uh, dial in network. So they gave me a, 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 modem number and I could dial in and access the internet using links, L Y N X. Uh, so that's how old that. I am. Um, and and then it was it was great because or I could gopher also uh, the idea you just yep. dig down like a gopher and when the world was mostly text when the web was mostly text you could do that uh, but I remember the first real uh, search engine that I ever heard of was Alta Vista and they had this audacious goal of crawling the entire web once a month. And, and that was just unheard of. The technology didn't exist to do that at the time. They, they pretty much invented, or at least were the first people that I ever heard of to talk about the spider, the robot spider yep. that crawled the web. Um, and then web spider crawler and then Lycos spiders. and these guys all came, came after uh at mm-hmm. least that was my experience. Some some somebody's uh, re- leaving a comment on the mobile app right now telling me how I've got my history backed up uh, <laughs> uh backwards. But that's the way I remember it uh was Alta Vista came first, Lycos, Webcrawler, these others came along um uh, and then Google hit the scene and did it faster and better and blew everybody away. And now Google is the default way you find information on the on the web. Uh but it it just it just made me think that the we have lost a piece of that Old culture, and that was web surfing, right? So now we yeah. have StumbleUpon and Tumblr, uh, and Stumble and these things that that artificially do what we used to do naturally and organically.
2: Do you remember that commercial that was advertising super high speed internet of like 1.5 meg? Which yes. I still think is ridiculously fast, but um, you know, it was like this guy was just clicking on links, and all of a sudden you've reached the end of yes. the internet. Go back. Yeah, yeah. and I just it thought off. that he was the,
0: his wife says, "I thought you were surfing the internet." He says, "I was. I'm finished." Yeah, and that to
2: me was the best commercial. I loved it.
0: And now you know the internet is growing at a rate that it cannot be. Search no no one person has enough seconds in his life to view every page on the internet.
1: Yeah, because creation is way too fast. I mean, how many videos are uploaded to YouTube in a day? How it's something like three days
2: worth of video every day.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe more. That's just now. insane.
2: Uh, well, um, you know, but how many? You know, if, if you were to qualify that, how many watchable videos are uploaded <laughs> to YouTube every day, then that number well, all of a sudden becomes hairs. 30 minutes or yeah, something.
0: Yeah, and once you start deduping, things go way down, right? It's 67 yeah. copies of the same, I personally believe, that U.S. Americans. um, uh, I, w- I went to visit the Smithsonian in 2000, and they gave a stat then that said if you spent one second... In front of every exhibit at the Smithsonian, it would take you something like 200 years to see all of them. Um, And so the web is several hundred times bigger than that. Uh, Okay, on to the tech news. First off. You know, before we do the news, let's do an ad. Because I know you you audience love so much when we do ads. Uh let's talk about our friend over at the LinuxAcademy dot com. Their job, their stated purpose, their goal, their reason in life is to take you from being a guy who knows some stuff about some stuff to being a certified Linux professional. Um they do this, by the way, their step-by-step video courses, uh, well over 200 now, uh, where each one is time-coded and has a down a, a downloadable PDF study guide with it so that you can read what you're watching, you can watch what you're reading, and then have this amazing lab platform where you can run up to four machines simultaneously uh, in your own protected environment. You can have them talk to each other. You can blow stuff up safely. Uh, it runs in Amazon's cloud, so it's lightning fast and super safe, and you're not going to bring down the Pentagon. Uh, and they have all sorts of tools designed to make you, to put you in control of your learning. So they have courses, they have modules, they have, uh, this, this personal learning, uh, plan that lets you decide when you're available. They build a syllabus for you based on your stated availability. If you've got X hours a day for X days a week, you tell them that they, and then you tell them what you want to learn and they, they construct that for you. All of this stuff using high quality content certified by third parties as being high quality, and 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 you know that's all just the basics, right? I, I talk about this stuff every week, but what I often gloss over is the community around it. The the once you get through the doors, you're in this uh, this whole community of other people just like you on the same journey as you, and along with side you with you are, are the the course instructors and the the designers and the the owners and the the people who who are creating content are right there with you saying, Hey, what content do you want to create? How, how could it, how can we make it better? And they're responsive. And when, when you were, when you reach out to them, they reach right back. And, and not only that, they're you know, the, the interaction with other people, I think that that's where online learning often stumbles is that you feel like you're going it alone and you can't learn from somebody else's mistakes and you can't learn from somebody else's, um, inspirations. And, and other sites out there just put you on your own track. Linux Academy puts you with a with a whole community of other people that you can interact with and and learn from as you're learning together. And you get all this great stuff for twenty five bucks a month. That's their basic rate. One twenty five dollars for all you can eat access to everything they've got for one month. But like anything else in the world, if you buy more, it gets cheaper. So if you want to buy uh three months, uh it's sixty five dollars. It's ten dollars a month um off or ten dollars total off the cost of three months. But if you if you if you once you've gotten in, you've tried it out, you're sure you're gonna stay a while, buy a year for two hundred and fifteen dollars. That's less than eighteen dollars a month. You're just not gonna find the the quality of instruction the videos, the the paper, the lab, the community, the feedback, the family, if I can use that word, for $18 a month anywhere else. And if you go to uh, linuxacademy.com slash linux, you'll even get a break off of that rate. So check them out, linuxacademy.com.
2: For all your Linux
0: learning needs. <laughs> uh, now on to the news of the week. This one um, I'm super excited about. The trolls over at Personal Audio, who say they invented podcasting, got a legal slap down this week.
2: Sweet. Yay. It's about time. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, um we were, um sorry, I just, yeah, basically, you know, we've talked before, it's kind of been a back and forth for a long time, it was the pod trolls. No, I'm sorry, the patent trolls just raking in the cash. Um, but then the government took action and stumbled upon a um a secret vault of heretofore undiscovered common sense or uncommon <laughs> sense and has begun repealing some of the more um bleeped up um <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's just no other way to say it. The the bleeped up internet intellectual property limbo that exists in the country so now it comes to find out and you know you talked about it before personal audio who you know about the only thing they own is the ability to sue and the only thing yeah that's all they do is they sue people um you know weird al i think probably wrote a song about them um but yeah so this one kind of strikes down some of their things and it goes it didn't really pass the um the obviousness test and then well, anyway, I'll let you – you put the link in, Mark. You go ahead and talk about it.
0: Well, this is – if you don't know what we're talking about, I'm surprised because we've devoted lots of time on the show to it in the past. But essentially, these people said they owned the concept of episodic content downloaded from the web. And anybody who knows anything about life knows that's total BS. So what they say is in 1999 – Or 96, I forget which. They invented the concept of putting episodic content, one show that continues after another show that continues after another, online and downloading it from a single file. So they say that they invented RSS and and not just podcasting, but all news feeds. Um huh. and and as I've stated before uh one of the things that that ha- uh, in the US court that has to stand up to is what's called the prior art. Uh if nobody if anybody has done it before you can't patent it. Um and the US patent system is pretty screwed up in that they they patent first and ask questions later. So this company was issued a patent, legally through the right process, they followed all the right laws, and then they began the process of defending their patent. But nobody had ever investigated the patent, including the patent office, before they did it. So there's this process called inter partes review, which basically is fancy speak for um, interested parties uh, can review something and send that back to the patent and trademark office and say, we think these parts of this patent don't pass the sniff test. So the EFF, uh, Electronic Frontiers Foundation, uh, did a crowdfunding campaign and raised a ton of money to hire their own scumbag lawyers, to combat the other scumbag lawyers. Uh, and sometimes it's good to have a scumbag on your side. And so they they won. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office uh, earlier uh, last week said, you know what, you're right. Um, there are all sorts of websites, CNN, for example, is one of the ones they cited, that have been releasing episodic content using a single downloadable link uh, long before your stuff and so they just invalidated it. they just struck those parts of the patent well those are parts of the patent are what everybody was was fighting over so now they still have a patent on everything else except you know it's like having a patent on on a car without an engine uh so now it it, sh- it doesn't matter they can't they don't have any teeth to go after yep. anyone else now they still have pocketed millions of dollars defending this patent from other people who chose to settle it rather than going to court uh adam carolla famously spent thousands of dollars defending it before he settled um under terms that are not uh known but now this patent is officially neutered it's not it they didn't eliminate the patent it still exists but the parts of it that are dangerous to podcasters have been cut out so they essentially have a useless patent now
1: right and that's a good thing um I mean, you know, us little guys like us, uh, we, you know, when I was really worried about it there for a while when they started suing everybody, and I was like, "Ooh, are we going to be in the crosshairs?" Because we don't have the money to settle, let alone order or get a lawyer. So I'm just glad to hear that you know some uncommon sense was found, and we actually uh have, don't have to worry about it as much.
0: And the hope is that the the publicity the limelight that is garnered by this will make somebody stand up and say you know this patent should never have been issued let's let's review the stupid system that caused all this from the beginning
1: well now you're reaching mark now you're reaching that's what we hope for yes one can dream we can hope in one hand and poop in the other (laughs) and then you can tell me which one fills up first (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, my cousin used to say that yeah. to me all the time. Thanks, Dad. Well, my I mother still that. says it. So, <laughs> uh, but the the neat thing is that uh, that you know scumbags beat scumbags, and this time it was our scumbags that won. Woohoo! So go scumbags. The, the podcast patent is no longer anything that we need to worry about for now. Another thing will come along. So, anytime you have lots of people making money off of something, somebody's going to c- try to find a way to take their money away from them.
1: Yep. Well, it's a good thing we don't make lots of money off of it, then.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. At some point, when I started making money, I'd start worrying about this.
2: Um,
0: and now, good news, bad news: China has an internet cannon, whatever that is.
2: Yeah. What, yes. That? Uh, um. You know, at first, I was like an internet cannon. You know, so this was like some some Yahoo created uh, clickbait kind of thing here, but um, in the hacker community, it is known has a low orbit ion cannon. Um, to put this, so basically, China acquired what every botnet already has, the ability to direct traffic against a targeted website or websites from a massive array of internet connected devices. I um, think it was and,
0: the anonymous group that, that yep. coined the phrase low orbit ion cannon. The idea is, is a, it's a multiplication attack using, uh, DNS is very popular right now where you uh, use NDP's zombie, better. use zombie machines to send a lot of traffic to one place. Um, and so the bad guys have had this, the script kiddies, and now the Chinese government has an officially sanctioned one? What the heck? Well, you
2: know, no, yeah, I, but, and this article talked about how the government, like the U.S. government, um, probably has one too. So I don't think we're behind the times. It was just kind of, Interesting to see the story talked about. Um, and, you know, this kind of came to light as the GitHub. Um, we talked about GitHub being kind of partially taken down over, um, I think we talked about that last week. And, you know, there's a lot of evidence uh, by people much smarter than I, who dug, that seems to point that the traffic to shut them down came from China. And so it was like they were testing or deploying their internet cannon. So. Yeah,
0: I, I love the way this article is written. That sounds like a terrible weapon. Jeez, what kind of country would build such a heinous cyber weapon? Well, the United States has a similar program.
1: <laughs> Everybody yeah. has some something similar. You mm-hmm. can even go down anonymous, download Anonymous's low I Ion yeah. Cannon, and do it yourself. So, go team. <laughs> 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 this it just
0: it, it's, it it has become a thing. That taking down websites is a form of warfare. Yeah. I don't quite know how to handle that. My brain can't process the fact that, oh my gosh, I can't get to my website is now an act of war.
1: But it is. It could be, yeah. If it was directed about your, uh, say, your banking systems, yeah, that would be horrible. But, but this then that next would also story- take down everything else, so...
0: Sorry to cut you off there, Chris. The next thing okay. is something I'm super excited about and have been. I I have talked about it many times on the show. I even did um, an Anemic podcast on on my own about it, where the world desperately needs a better battery. Uh, Alessandro Volta essentially invented the battery we used we use today in the 1700s. We've we've used we've come up with slightly better techniques, but that's all well now this uh this these scientists at a university Stanford University say that there's a flexible battery that recharges in a minute,
2: yes, nice. it recharges basically sixty times or more faster than the lithium ion battery that's in wide use today, and it can maintain its charges um like seventy five hundred times before it loses its capacity as opposed to lithium ions. Uh, that can only do it about a thousand times. And, um, no, granted, they haven't quite got up to consumer large scale, but it's using aluminum ion and, um, it makes it flexible. Which is
0: cheaper and safer.
2: Yes. Cheaper and safer. And you can like drill holes in this and not lose charging capacity. Imagine drilling holes mm. in your chargeable battery today. You know, you would spray toxic chemicals in addition to destroying the battery. So, but I was the one of the and points I was going to. Yeah. One of the points I was going to bring up is if, if this battery is bendable all of a sudden that then, you know, the form factor of design becomes even much more wide open because you don't have this, uh, cube somewhere. It can kind of be this jelly play-doh like substance that you can like, you know, cram it into a couple of centimeters here and a couple of centimeters there. And then you can have a battery that just kind of wherever there's open space. And you and- combine
0: that with the flexible displays that are in development, and you literally have a foldable phone not far mm-hmm. away.
1: Yeah. yeah there's, there's actually someone who's done that. Um, I was watching one of Leo's shows, and they actually showed the phone that was bendable because they used an OLED display and this type of a battery. You could actually bend the phone in half. So, so Yeah.
0: It's
1: the, out the there.
0: I, the, so... A typical lithium-ion battery right now can be recharged about a thousand times, more or less. So let's say you charge your phone once a day, um, that gets you a thousand days, or just over three years of life out of it. Um, most most of us, that's about right. You you keep a phone battery about three years, then it starts losing its charge, and then you you can either replace the phone or replace the battery. Most Americans replace the phone at that point. Well, this thing wow. can can last seven times that. So you're talking 21 years without any redu- reduction um, in the charge, and it charges in 60 seconds. Now the problem right now is uh, right it's about the same uh, voltage as a double A battery, so about one uh, 1.2 volts. So not not anything fancy, but gosh, what? How many things in your house run on AA batteries? I have tons of things. It's yeah. one of the staples on our shopping list. Is picking up AA batteries. If I can recharge those in sixty seconds for twenty-one years, um, yes, please.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and you know we talked about this is kind of this really isn't even Gen One. This is beta of this right. battery, so in a couple of generations of this product and is a generation 10 years or one year in this, I really don't know. Um, then you're going to be up to bigger devices, uh, longer charge, more power, all of that kind of stuff. And has the amount of power required in today's electronics continually falls. Then you're looking at, you know, we keep looking for the, um, electrical breakthrough that solves energy problems for the world maybe there's not the breakthrough maybe it's a bunch of different things that add up to the breakthrough so yeah so let's say be. you
0: take these foldable batteries um, and you put them in your electric car and they're small and they're thin they're they're like the size of a business card uh, in these pictures and let's say you wrap them around the entire superstructure of the car so, you've got your metal, uh, covering the car, fiberglass, whatever it is. And these things are just stuffed in every crevice. They're on the carpets. They're, they're in the curve of the seat. Um, they're, they're everywhere. Now you have the capacity to have a, a, a big charge that you can recharge quickly. And it, I mean, you add 1.2 volts times several thousand, um, mm-hmm. and, and you've got something there. So, even in this infantile state of, of development, you could do this. And and if you smash your fender, you lose some of your charge capacity because you've damaged those, uh, but not much, right? You've like you like Seth said, you can punch a hole in it without significantly affecting it. So you you now have this this technology which doesn't weigh much, um, it doesn't add much to the the overall uh expense or difficulty of making this car, and you no longer have to have a whole bunch of batteries stuffed in a trunk somewhere.
1: Sure, um, and th- and you don't have to worry about it blowing up if someone gets right. in a car wreck with you.
0: And it, I'm but- sure I'm not the first person to have thought of this. I'm sure that they're, they're. I mean, once you expand, let's say right now they're like the size of a business card, right? So if you make that thing instead of using thousands of them, you just make a really big one, and you just wrap, say, uh, a, a DC10 in it. <laughs> now you've got an electric powered jet. How cool would yeah. that be? That's
2: yeah. Be I, well, I look at it. Suppose you um you know, suppose electric cars are the norm and you're going to be going on a longer trip. You just take something the size of a briefcase and you put it in your trunk and you lost a little bit of hauling capacity, but you've increased your range, you know, miles. So, yeah.
0: So super exciting. I'm anything that frees us from the tyranny of, of power. Uh, I've said many times that I think uh, in the future, Power will be beamed down from space. We will have uh, uh, solar converters that are beaming power everywhere we go. And It'll be like like satellites, like GPS. Everywhere mm-hmm. you go, it's there. But it'll be powering our devices, and batteries won't matter anymore. Um, but you know, that's my that's my prediction for when my grandchildren uh, are are my age. But right now, this is something that could have an impact. In a few years, uh, like two or three years, we might seeing these replace laptop batteries.
1: And that would be really cool. Could you imagine having a battery that was that fast of a charge? That would just mind boggling. What, what, what you could do with it with a, a, you know, oh, I need, oh, I'm out of juice. Oh, let's go. Yeah. So
0: battery life then becomes less important when you can charge it in a minute from dead to full. So even, even if you don't have, uh, you, you get down to 50%. And you s- let, uh, drop your laptop in the cradle long enough to go to the bathroom. When you come back, you're fully charged again. Yeah. So it changes it changes life dramatically. Your phone too, right? Uh, if you add, say, Qi charging to that, where you can just lay it on a surface and it charges in a minute. Um,
1: well, let's it, let's it, go one more step bigger though. Let's go with the idea of having the little power jack in your house that when you walk in the door, it automatically shoots power into it.
2: Yeah. You know, well, it, extended this, Qi. This makes the uh, smart watch more practical true yeah
0: yeah my my very rarely but sometimes my watch does die throughout the middle of the day and it charges quickly but it's still about an hour from dead to full. if i could change that to a minute now it becomes completely irrelevant um mm-hmm. how much uh, how often it, so you know i i th- you can buy them all over the place little batteries that that'll recharge your phone yeah. everybody could buy one of those and you know, everybody can spare spare a minute.
1: Yeah, it'd be really cool if they figure out a way to run off of our biochemistry. Okay.
0: Well, now we're going. You know, now we're going to to Dick Tracy Tech. Which, by the way, I'm wearing Dick Tracy's watch. So yeah, it's not get why too not? crazy about it. Um, here's something I don't understand: BitTorrent websites.
2: Yeah, I what? thought this was interesting when I and they have um it was a closed alpha now it's an open beta so what they are doing is they are looking to basically host websites that are not in a centralized location so you know i'm sure there will be some centralized database something other like you know the pirate bay doesn't really host the data but it hosts the links that tells you where the data is and uh, so you go there and then i kind of think it's cool uh it would it's the ultimate you talk about capturing the founding spirit of the web. BitTorrent web's um browser would be totally it because you know you're cruising YouTube, but you're not cruising Google servers, you're cruising people who have a YouTube accounts computers. So, uh, it makes the web a lot more decentralized and all of a sudden, you know, an outage on YouTube doesn't mean you can't access stuff. You're just, cause you're not accessing their site. You know, you're accessing the site from somebody two doors down from you. You're going to be able to see super fast versus somebody across the country. Then it's going to be a lot slower. So, I just think it's kinda cool. I'm uh I'm looking forward to the BitTorrent browser. Uh,
0: the Cynic in me sees this as specifically for and by people who want to host illegal content. Mm-hmm. Um and but you know, when if say you're in China, uh what we would consider everyday normal speech in the US is illegal content. So I'm not saying sure. that it's all about kitty porn, but this is a way to host things um that are not um legitimate among your p- uh, governmental agency that well, that's not, that's the way i read this
1: and not just you know illegal it could be also you know there could be the moral factor that comes into play too you know you could be putting things up there that are immoral and because it's a decentralized network um you can, you would hope for more you know being anonymous but there again you still have to give something your ip address to get data back so so
0: things essentially become self-replicating and self-redundant and what the web was designed to be yeah so i think it's cool it's an interesting experiment i don't know there's all kinds of legal ramifications that that come from this even for regular content right so like youtube you were talking about seth um the The only reason YouTube can get away with some of the stuff it does is because it has servers in different countries with different content on it right. based on the rules of that country. So when we start no longer having servers or having distributed servers, um the legal landscape gets really interesting.
2: And right, really gray. The, you know who would really love this is an ISP such as a charter or a cable company. Then they're not having to... Le- you know that data comes into their network once, right. And then you're not leaving their network, so it would be not- amazing
0: for for Netflix.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: Suddenly, all their bandwidth problems go away, but a whole new host of DRM problems come up,
2: right? But that's but where they have those scumbag like, lawyers. Yeah, something like YouTube would be perfect a perfect fit for this. And I'm not saying, but you know, where you have individual people. Posting content instead of posting content to a centralized server, they're just advertising content. So, you know, it could kind of change the way. And so you wouldn't go to YouTube, you know, you would have, you know, you would have cat lovers. And then so all the cat lovers are hosting sites on everybody. And then, you know, you would have dog lovers. And so you just know you're, you're segmented to that group of the community. I don't know. Like I say, will it come to anything? I don't know, but I think it's kind of cool and I hope it works well. Uh, I, I'm boarded. a
0: fan of anything that looks at new ways of doing things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we have the client server model just because we had the client server model. I mean, the guys who invented the internet used that model and that's what we've had. There's a client, there's a server. You, you send things from, from one to the other. More and more things like, you know, Meerkat, for example, we were talking about earlier is client to client. And so the BitTorrent people want to take that, um, a step further and make web pages be client to client. I think it's a great idea. Anytime you're challenging the status quo, I'm for it. Uh, but I wonder if, if the, the larger entities in the world, governments and non-governmental agencies would, will allow this to be something that takes off.
2: Yeah. I totally agree with you. But like I say, to me, this is the more founding intent of the internet you know i mean what was the purpose of the internet you wanted a a decentralized uh, system of communication that could survive a nuclear attack well if everything is hosted in a centralized location then you're probably not going to survive a nuclear attack so enter the BitTorrent model of everybody has a little bit of it so you might lose some stuff but it will keep going right
0: um this next one I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on it, but it's it's just kind of funny. Even the mighty stumble.
2: Yes. Um if you um you might have noticed a couple of days ago that you had difficulty receiving um Gmail on your mobile device, and that was because Google allowed their root certificate for Gmail to expire. So, you know, um I guess that's gonna be a paid position at Google and not something the interns manage anymore. Yeah, and that's
0: uh, Google has been on the the cutting edge of making sure people have their secure certificates in place, and then they slipped. That's a pretty public oops. Yeah, Yeah, it it happens.
2: Yeah, it was just kind of funny. So, like I say, we've all every company has done that um, in some way. So they aren't the first, and I'm sure they won't be the last.
0: All right, and still sticking with the Google verse, Chrome. Chrome is doing a little clean, spring cleaning. They uh, talked about uh, the story we did, I think, last week was uh, Android uh, malware and and how they've uh, cleaned out some things. Well, now they're looking, turning to their own Chrome Web Store.
2: Yes, um, they have recently purged two um, hundred. 200- extensions from the Chrome store. So, and these are kind of things that do, um, like add, um, ad swapping or ad injection to control what website you go to. So it's kind of, this is kind of good news for Google that they uh, cleaned up the store and got rid of this, but it was kind of bad news that they got in in the first place. So, um, it's just one of those things. The security is there, you know, the criminal continues to get smarter, has the, uh, Um, good guys upgrade their defenses so google has raised the bar on you know malicious and muckware in general so yay google
0: and just a reminder most of these if not all of these things didn't come from the chrome web store these were other Mm -hmm. apps these were chrome apps written by third parties so you you Google would like to remind you that you always open yourself up to risk when you sideload, uh, both in Android and and Google, and also you yeah. know let's talk about um, Firefox plugins and and things like that as well. Uh, you're giving people a lot of power when you install one of those plugins, and you need to make sure you know who they are
1: and
2: that you right. know exactly what they're going to do. Yeah. But you can't just kind of throw them out because we're asking people to sideload as we beta because there isn't a store for beta software. You know, if there was an official store that you could, you know, and if it was called beta Chrome or something where, you know, we're putting this in beta, don't leave a review saying it's bad because we know it's bad, it's beta. But if there were some official way to do that, you know, so there is a problem that there, you can't just get rid of side loading. You have to have some other way right. to do it. So there's deeper issues than just don't side load.
0: And uh, if anybody
2: cares, the Ubuntu
0: phone is out, and not in the U.S. yet, though.
2: Go well, figure. but you you can order it. It's um, you know, it's not like flash sales where we have ten phones for sale, you know, or whatever. It's like. It's just on their site, and it's available for anyone to order. Um, you can go get it. So, yay! Finally, there's some choice in the uh, <laughs> phone in the uh, mobile phone marketplace. It's taken a while, but we're getting there.
1: I, I yeah. I'd like to be excited about this, but I can't.
2: That the come on, it's Linux on
0: a phone. The power of a phone is the the ecosystem and Mm -hmm. there are tons of linux apps right linux on a phone awesome how many of those apps are designed for mobile use for phone use 0.01 percent it's just because it's not a market that has existed yet there's not an ecosystem for it yet so I, i i'm having a hard time getting excited about a phone that's not going to be able to do phone stuff for a while. I understand you need the hardware before the software can come. The the original iPhone couldn't do much either. It was essentially a web browser uh, on in your hand. Uh, so I get that this is just growing pains, but it's really hard for me to get excited about this phone that doesn't have an ecosystem. Right. And I'm going to hear no, from no Linux ways. lovers, and I am one, by the way. <laughs> I'll remind you the name of the show is Everyday Linux. Uh, I am a Linux lover, but most of the stuff I do on Linux every day does not compute, does not translate to a small five-inch interface at all. Um, and that's there've been Linux on phones for a while, Migo. Yeah, you know it's been around, and there's a reason it didn't take off. And having a new handset isn't going to solve these problems.
1: No, and then the, the if you look at the specs for this guy, it's not even that great of a phone. You know, 8 gigs internal memory. That's, that's pretty small. That's a low end phone anymore. Uh, just looking down the list, there's, you know, some things that are nice, but only a 2000 milliamp battery. I mean, you're not going to work all day on it, but uh, it, it's really early beta stuff. I still don't think it's fully baked. Um, I, I'm happy to see it's available, but I would never get it yet.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not a flagship level phone, right. but for, for the price, it's, it's not that bad. And, you know, as phones become more and more powerful, you know, we are almost to the point to where you can just hook up an external display and what they tried to do, um, before and the, the Atrix. phones just couldn't handle it. Yeah. The Atrix, mm-hmm. it, it, it was not powerful enough to do it, but now we're getting to the point to where, you're walking around with a computer. It's just you have a tiny interface. You need to plug it into a bigger interface somewhere. And so, and has that becomes more the norm moving forward? Then it would be nice to have a fully baked desktop OS running your phone that can do desktop OS-y stuff.
0: Yeah. It's, it's one of those questions I'm asked because I'm a tech guy. I get it. You know a couple times a month, if not once a week, uh, somebody will ask me what phone should I buy which is better Android or iPhone or I see you've got it or what phone do you have I, some variation of that question and what I invariably tell people is whatever ecosystem you're in, buy that phone if you have yeah. a Mac and you you live on iTunes and you you're uh, uh, in the Apple world, buy the iPhone the The Android phone will limit you. Um, if you're a Google user and you've got Google Docs and you're a Gmail guy and, and you're into uh, Google+, the Android phone is the better way to go. An Apple phone will limit you. Um, if there, there is no ecosystem right now for the Linux phone. Uh, what was it? The Nokia, I think, M900 has, has been able to run straight up Linux for a long time. Now, I understand the, the whole point of the Ubuntu phone is to have a mobile interface. So they, they're trying to, to dog food this problem, and I get that. But it's just, it's a developer phone. It's not a consumer phone. I just don't think it is. And I, I, I can't, yet. I can't recommend, I can't imagine myself recommending it to anybody. But also, I don't recommend, for example, Windows tablets to anybody. The Surface uh, Pro, for example, that costs as much as a laptop, that is as heavy as a laptop, and has a keyboard like a laptop, but can't do what a laptop can do. Why on earth would you buy that thing?
1: You shouldn't. That's why we don't recommend it. <laughs>
0: So uh, it's all it's all to me about how useful is it and this phone is a developer phone. People get these in their hands, they make it useful. Great, I'm all for yep. that. Uh but I think Ubuntu should be subsidizing that. If they if they really want de- developers to have these things and to make this platform, they should be if not giving them away, heavily subsidizing them and they're not. They're trying to treat it like a commercial uh release when there's just not a market yet. And so for that reason, I'm out. To to quote uh, Shark Tank
2: <laughs> well, and I mean also you have one Ubuntu phone. So yes, right. there isn't a super serious demand, um but it is out there and so you know the thing is you don't have to have a very large piece of the mobile market to be successful. Um or you know to at least be break evenable, uh sustainable. So maybe will this garner enough of a market to show that it exists or you know was it we gave it our best shot we reached the mobile world and then we died i i don't know time will tell um but yeah so like i say yay choice (laughs)
0: because what the world needs is more choice
1: yeah Um, and then now someone's going to take their ball and go home with it and fork it and then we'll have the mint phone
0: (laughs) yeah i that's not even a joke that will happen
1: Oh yeah, yep. I know it's going to happen, and then we'll have the same problem we have with the desktop on Linux' phone for Linux or Linux for phones or whatever
2: uh
0: next up the the Raspberry Pi is going into space. How cool was that?
2: Yeah, I thought this was pretty cool the uh Raspberry Pi is getting a couple of their um tiny computers into space coming up soon and they're having a contest it's kind of um they're calling it the Astro Pi yeah you kind of got to be in the great britain geographical area for this to work but there's like two different groups uh one there's like children um in school can like submit ideas and the best ideas get coded by the Raspberry Pi Foundation to run on the pies in space. And then for the more secondary, like high school level, they can, they will be submitting their own programs to run. And, you know, it's kind of cool. Um, you can have. A, you can have a code set running on your computer down here and then versus one running on space station, does it produce the same results? You know, does space affect the way the pie works? Um, they're going to be attaching some small sensor suites to it to measure, you know, temperature, barometric pressure, stuff like that. So you can compare those readings that are in the space station versus readings down here on earth and so it's kind of a way to show what the raspberry pi can do interest kids in not only computing but in space exploration at the same time i think it's a really cool thing go raspberry pi
0: yeah so they're sticking they're taking a regular raspberry pi and putting uh an extra board on it that has a gyroscope, an accelerometer, a magnetometer, uh, a temperature sensor, a pressure sensor, barometric pressure, humidity sensor. It's got an uh, an RGB display on it, 8x8, so very small, uh, like a uh, a bedside clock type display, and a mini joystick for interfacing with it. So here's the piece of equipment. You kids, school children across Great Britain, come up with some cool experiments to do with it. Uh, on a platform that you can afford uh, to, you know, that a school can afford to give you or that your parents can afford to buy for you. I'm, I'm I, This is great. Anything that gets people interested in space again, I'm all for. Yeah. I, this I this cool. combines the space and the maker communities all in one, and that's, yes, that's it
1: a does. win. Well, it should be a win. Yeah. Let's see. Let's hope it is. I can't wait to see what they uh, – I wonder how public they're going to be with the r- things that they're putting out.
0: We'll find out. Time will tell. Um, yeah. Like- <laughs> was it? Were you going to say something, Seth?
2: No, not okay. really.
0: All right. Uh, the Department of Energy looks into supercomputers. I don't even understand this headline, Seth. Clear it up for me.
2: Uh, what did I put for the headline? Oh yeah. DOE looks to up the supercomputer game. So uh the Department of Energy has announced their uh contract for the next supercomputer and they are looking at something in the 180 petaflop range. Um, wow. just to, uh, I had to go back and look the last time, and and we covered these lists when they came out, the November, 2014 list, the fastest supercomputer in the world clocked in at 33 petaflops. Now this one, it will be a couple of years before it's up and going, but they are looking at 180 petaflops, which is basically 18 times the power of their current system, but it will only use 2.7 times as much energy. So they are really seeking to maximize their com- supercomputing dollar. Um, and, you know, you could point out that the energy savings alone, you know, even if they ran the exact same calculations they were running, the energy savings alone would probably be enough to pay for it. So, uh, yeah, they're looking to have a secondary computer that only runs at the, uh, eight petaflop range. Um, they're they're getting two of them. So a hundred and eighty petaflop. Um, uh, so a petaflop, that's freaking fast.
0: by the way, is a trillion or, or a thousand million, depending on whether or not you're English or, or American um uh, <laughs> operations per second so 1 1 trillion floating point operations per second floating point being uh, uh division multiplication advanced math so uh that's a lot um so 15 trillion no what was the number you said seth 180 trillion operations per second um that's fast almost as fast as the human brain
1: Yeah, that's nuts. I I can't wait to see what comes up next after that one to see if they can break into a different level of petaflops.
0: What's after peta? Um,
1: I have no idea. Exo? I don't remember. Exoflops? Something like... But it'd be crazy. Could you say that? Oh, look, yeah, I have a super in my backyard that does eight exoflops.
0: If if you're ever bored sometime and and just want to learn something pedantic... Uh, Google the difference between thousand million and trillion and you'll see that there's, much like many things, uh, there's a continental divide. The North American continent calls it a trillion and the European continent calls it uh, a a a thousand million and there's mathematical reasons why both are correct and both are wrong. (laughs) Huh. Uh,
1: Last story. We should have a corner for you, Mark, that says Mark's Corner and you could... (laughs) Sure, serve up all those extra little tidbits like that.
0: Mark's extra weirdness. Uh, the last story of the night: Valve uh, showing some love to their developers,
2: like always. Well, and actually, yeah, not just their developers, but developers of the Mesa community. Um, you know, they kind of did did this with the Debian community, where they kind of unlocked the Valve store. But one of the cool things about this is they are giving um the developers all current and future, um, steam releases. So kind of pretty cool. The Mesa 3d library is pretty much mainly using gaming, but it's, uh, it's just kind of a centralized Linux library. And, uh, valve is saying, Hey, thank you for that. We want to show you some love. We do games. So here have access to every game ever on our system.
0: Yeah, and, and of course, they're trying to, to, for the next Christmas buying season, they want the uh, Steam machines to be a thing. Uh, and yep. so by releasing these to developers, developers will see where it's crap and be, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, compelled to fix it. A, de- a developer can't see something bad and let it go. And right. they know this. So they're, they're relying on the compulsions, the OCD of a subset of programmers to fix their problems. Here, here's all our games, play them, see what's broken and fix it. it it's a great play. You're using people's neuro- neurological defects against them.
1: <laughs> well, and that sounds just like what gaming does in general, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it just goes to show that Valve is standing behind their developers and anyone who's going to develop for them. So. I think it's cool. I'm I'm hoping that we actually see some uh, big benefits coming from them unlocking their stores for developers.
0: Are you in line to buy a Steam machine, Chris?
1: I am currently... I wouldn't say I'm in line for one because my current gaming rig kind of beats the pants off of most of the Steam boxes. So when my gaming rig is aged out... Um, I'll probably be in the line for getting a Steam Box instead.
0: And by then, because I'm actually, it'll be Steam Box version four or five,
1: right? Uh, well, two or three probably. Uh, I mean, I was just talking with my wife last night how now that I'm in this new job role that I've, you know, I'm, what nine months into it now, I don't do any of the heavy work that I used to do on the machines that I have. So I was actually talking about downgrading my portable laptop, my testing machine. From the 17-inch behemoth of a laptop down to, like, a 13- or a 14-inch laptop with, you know, solid states and new RAM and and not deal with a 17-inch behemoth anymore. So, it's weird how your day-to-day usage shifts with a large change, like, say, a a job or family.
0: Any excuse to buy new gear, Chris? I I applaud you for coming up with this one. It's a good one, Uh, but you just want to buy a new laptop. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Gotta get your spousal approval somehow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that's the news of the week. Seth, tell us what happened this week in computer history.
2: Well, this week in computer history, um I have personal ties to. Um sorry, I I just lost it here. Um a- April the 13th, 1974, Western Union, in cooperation with NASA and Hughes Aircraft, launched the United States' first commu- commercial geosynchronous communication satellite, West Star one and my dad was a long-time Western Union employee. So, you know, go dad, yay Western Union, yay capitalism in general.
0: Yeah, it was all <laughs> about sending money to people, apparently.
2: Well, I mean, Western Union was... um you know, and and they really kind of uh, screwed the pooch, so to speak, and they bet all their money on the telegraph and didn't really get involved in a telecom or diversify in the way AT&T did. But um, back in the day, a Western Union tech out earned an AT&T tech, hands down. But then mm-hmm. the telegraph died and they had to come up with other ways to make money, thus the uh the the singing telegram and the send money via Western Union that uh PayPal kinda killed.
0: It's still a thing though. If you need to yeah. send money, Western Union is still a thing. It's also a very expensive thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you can pay bills through them as mm-hmm. well. But yeah, it's it's very expensive. So but dad has a pension, so he's uh <laughs> he's got a guaranteed money for a life. So the idea the <laughs>
0: The geosynchronous satellite is is such a, it's really a revolutionary idea. So prior to that, satellites orbited the Earth at a a given rate. Well, this was the first geosynchronous satellites that ordered the rate of orbit was such that it was always above a certain spot on the Earth. So it it orbits at 24 and a quarter hours or whatever it is uh, a day so that you always knew there was a satellite right above you. Uh, now, those that's everywhere. The entire GPS system, the, the satellite TV system, the uh, communications there, that's the standard. Uh, and we don't have roving orbits on satellites very much. Uh, there are some, um, you know, weather satellites, things like that. But geosynchronous is sort of the standard. But somebody had to do it first, and it was Western Union. And, again, if you're going to communicate, you want to know that there's always a satellite above you and not want right. to wait until it comes into range and goes out again. Kind of a cool idea.
1: Yep. Yeah. And that's also how we have Direct TV. Yes, so and
0: there's there's sort of TV like stuff. an air traffic control for space. I didn't know if you knew this, but different to to achieve that geosynchronous is a, is a is an altitude as well as a speed. Um, mm-hmm. So there's like lanes in space. We have certain satellites in certain uh, height ranges and certain in other height ranges. Um, and I just think it's cool that you know for for well since Sputnik. Since the nineteen fifties, we've been throwing crap out into space. Some of it comes back down, some of it doesn't. But we've developed over time these these lanes, just like on a highway. There's there's certain bands that your satellite will be in. You got to make sure it doesn't crash into some of the other crap up there in space. Um, kind of kind of interesting to think that there's. Uh, you often think of the precision of NASA and the precision of space flight, but you never think of necessarily having to make sure that you end up in the right spot that you don't run into something else you know space is vast there's that's why it's called space but the low orbit earth orbit is getting crowded and so i think in the near future we're going to literally have an air traffic control for space
2: well and you can also um you can like i saw it on a google earth view or something you can like see the satellites and as you go out further there's more or less of them so you right. can kind of look and see um, because that that's some department at nasa's job is to track every nut and bolt that fell off of the space station or some satellite that hasn't fallen into orbit and there was an international uproar of sorts years ago now when china tested an anti-satellite weapon on one of their satellites and how much space junk it created when they destroyed one of their satellites in orbit rather than, you know, sending it on re-entry to burn up in the atmosphere. So, it's a problem. All
0: all orbits decay without help. So, all that stuff will fall back to the Earth or spin out into space eventually. Eventually. Uh, but now, now we've got to track this stuff that is on whatever trajectory it was on when it blew up. Um, so it, and and then there's comets and asteroids th- that we're not even looking for. You know, one of those is going to come someday and and smash into us, and, and totally we're not going to be looking scientists. at it because we don't yep. look up anymore. We look out and we look down, but we don't look. We
2: up look down anymore. at our phones. So. Yes
0: uh in this next one seth i took a peek at it ahead of time uh this for a history geek like me would cause me to lose a great deal of productivity thus making you look like a better hiring option
2: yeah i uh i came across this and i was like oh this is awesome uh something i did not uh, you know i'm a i'm a history buff i love trivial history because i'm a trivial kind of guy so it fits me perfect um I did not realize that there were no photographs taken when Lee surrendered at Appomattox, um, kind of mm, the de Which facto happened this end. week in history. Yes, it happened this week in history. But it really wasn't a technology thing, so that's how come it didn't make the this week in history thing, but I wanted to throw it in here. Um, but there was one guy who kind of sketched it, and uh, so he just, you know, he has drawings of different things. There's Lee uh, walking off. There's the union soldiers sharing rations with Confederate soldiers, Confederate forces, giving up their muskets, um, things like that. And it was just kind of cool. You know, whenever I saw it, I was like, well, you know, I guess I never did see a photograph of it, but there were no photos at that day, you know? So it was kind of cool. You can look and see this guy's sketches. Um, Of it, And that's the only visual record we have of one of the most important events in American history.
0: If you go to the museum, I haven't been, but uh, a friend of mine went and posted a picture of uh, the last thing you see as you walk out the door is the question um, that really defines American culture is what was started that day and what ended that day. Um, You know, uh, and it's it's an open-ended question. So the Civil War ended. Uh, slavery, for all intents and purposes, didn't end uh, that day. It had it had ended uh, in the North prior, and it took a while for that to take hold in the South. Um, so did we start a new era of full equality? If so, are we there yet? Um, did we end an era of looking down on your fellow men? If so, are we there yet? Uh, it's that this day, while we don't often spend much time on it in our history classes, we just note that Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse on this date. Um, it's, it's a bigger deal. I've, I've been studying, uh, uh, the civil war era lately. Just, it's kind of the bent I'm on reading several books about it in, in the recent months. Uh, and it's, it's such a, like you said, Seth, a pivotal time in the history of not just america but of of the world because the way we interact with each other defines how we interact with the world around us uh but this was this was this was really important and it doesn't get enough time so and and ironic that there are no no records of it other than this guy's relatively crude sketches because he was just drawing in a a hurry
2: right and he was like an official kind of correspondent so you know and you know, considering he didn't like, say, y'all hold that for 10 minutes exactly. while I sketch, <laughs> his sketches, are, I mean, they're actually pretty good. I mean, you know, not that much better than I can do takes much, but it far exceeds uh what my best effort would be able to do. So, yes, in April 9th, for everybody out there who was like, oh, my gosh, I, you know, I can't believe that that date isn't important in American history anymore. So, uh, but April the 9th is when that happened. 150 years ago so this was the sesquicentennial there's a good word for you, there you go. of uh yeah. the uh Lee's surrender which he only, he was the overall commander, but he was only in physical command of one army. But when he surrendered, everybody else realized, you know, it's time to give it up too. But just because we're Texas and we're awesome, the last official engagement was a couple of weeks later, um, on Texas. And of course the Confederates won because Texas rocks. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See if that'll generate any hate mail this week. Yeah. Still, uh, <laughs> Matt Morris Ranch, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, if I remember my history, Lee didn't actually have the authority to surrender on behalf of the government, uh, but he was the the core of the fighting force. When As he laid down his weapons, the battle could no longer be won.
2: Yeah, because he right. was in charge of the army. So, yes, he didn't have the uh, legislative authority to surrender, but he had the military authority to surrender.
0: All right, and that's our show, folks. So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us, com. Click the Contact <coughs> Us button. Thank Sorry you for the feedback, feedback. Seth. Uh, <laughs> click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. That will send a nicely formatted email to me that gets priority in my inbox. If you want to do it yourself, if you don't trust me, send an email to edl at elementop.com. That goes to all three of us, and we will see that. Also, if you'd like your voice to appear right along beside ours, 559-IMOP um, is our voice our Google voice number. Leave us a voicemail there, and we will uh, put you on the show. Uh, we love having you with them as I, I it sounds trite but it's true you are the reason we do this show so the best thing that you could do to help us out above all else is tell other people about the show rate us on iTunes i know that's a lot to ask for this audience but go to your grandma's house where she's got iTunes uh and ask her to to let you borrow the machine for a minute uh but rate us on iTunes rate us on whatever system you use uh, i was talking with somebody in the chat room this week that uh uses some uh uh, command line script to reach out and download our files directly via command line onto his machines. He's not going to be able to review us anywhere. Uh, but if, if, if you something like stitcher or FM radio or any of those, uh, uh let people know about our show and, and s- spread the word. We, we hope you like it enough to tell other people about it. Uh, if you Definitely. don't, if you do tell them, if you don't tell me so, uh, Seth, Chris, <laughs> as always, you uh, were great hosts—the best I could afford—and uh, I'm glad to have you here. And uh, I'm going to say that ends this episode of the Freedom.